0: We're really looking to disrupt ourselves and to take a fresh look at how we represent our brands online and how we go to market.
1: Most people would look at a company in the Fortune 500 and think they probably don't have much work to do to stay on top or compete against these scrappy e-commerce startups. But in the world of commerce, companies large, small and in between are all somewhat on level playing field right now. And oftentimes, it's the bigger legacy companies who are trying to catch up to these younger brands. And for Stanley Black & Decker, this was the case when it came to the company's e-commerce business, which is why Stanley Black & Decker announced a goal to double its online sales in order to reestablish itself as a leader in all areas. Which, for the record, I'm pretty sure it's already a leader number one in the tools category. Catherine Bahamande-Manasabian is the president and GM of North America Commerce for Stanley Black & Decker. And she's been leading that charge since joining the company in early 2020. Right in the midst of the pandemic, Catherine was coming from the world of retail, having cut her teeth at places like Lululemon, Barney's, and Juicy Couture. But she's always loved a good challenge. And coming from the hardest hit industry in the pandemic, aka apparel, to a top performing vertical, which was DIY and home improvement goods, was one of the biggest career shifts she's ever made. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Katherine explains why she made the decision to roll up her sleeves and join Stanley Black & Decker and has grabbed the company's lofty e-commerce goals by the horns and led the charge. Catherine discusses what it takes for a large company to experiment with new platforms and how she measures ROI and attribution to assess risk. And she looks into the crystal ball to predict how e-commerce will continue to change, especially in terms of B2B innovations. Plus, we have a really amazing discussion around how women are being brought into the fold at Stanley Black & Decker, and why it's one of the top places that women can work right now. Seeing how Stanley Black & Decker is digitally transforming and really creating a workforce for everyone was so inspiring, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, and I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent state of commerce report.
0: Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide and we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word.
1: there and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postals, CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Catherine bahamande Manasabian, the president and GM of North America Commerce at Stanley Black & Decker. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you on. So I was looking through your background, like I always do, and you've worked at some really great places. You've worked at Barney's, Juicy Couture, Lululemon, Alex and Ani. I was going through the list and I was like, well, she is a VIP in this industry. I wanted to hear how you kind of got into those companies and what your journey in e-commerce looked like before getting to Stanley Black & Decker.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'm always interested when I, when I hear, um, you know, interview candidates that I always knew I wanted to do, you know, have this career. For me, it was, um, you know, I, I really didn't earlier on have much exposure, you know, really to the, to the broader world or or my place in it or even grasp, you know, what was possible really career-wise. So after college, I, you know, started off in investment banking. It seemed like a good thing to do. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, that experience actually ended up giving me a great business foundation. But later in my career, you know, I, I transitioned to e-commerce and, you know, I've worked in a wide range of mostly retail companies, both early stage and mature at sort of different times in their in their life cycle. And, um, you know, what I, what I ended up loving about e-commerce is just that, you know, it really touches everything. You really have to think about the end to end experience. You have to be close to technology. You're driven by numbers. You have to execute and it's, you know, fast paced and, and, and not the same job twice. So I wouldn't give it up for the world. I,
1: I, I found my calling for sure. Yeah. I love that. How did you choose the companies that you worked for?
0: Yeah, well, so um, I have always been um, drawn to kind of change roles. So during inflection points in in, in the company's you know sort of journey, mm-hmm. and so, so whether it was an early stage startup or whether it was you know a company trying to um, transform, I was always drawn to brands with the, with the customer at the center looking to, um, you know, grow across, um, you know, sort of new business models and such. So it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, a particular affinity to a particular, you know, category. I did spend a lot of time in apparel, but it was more about the, you know, the specific um, opportunity in terms of scope and ability to, to impact.
1: Got it. Did you ever get to a company and you reflect back and you're like, that was one of the most challenging times of like working, trying to either start e-commerce or do something new? Like do any of these companies come to mind where you're like, that was super challenging and hard and the best experience ever?
0: Honestly, I would say they, they all were, you know, whether it was, you know, sort of more in a, in a a build capacity or more, you know, in a more of a, a, um, you know, turnaround I think that, you know, the last 10 years, you know, a lot has been written about the, the retail apocalypse, which yeah. was like, you know, 10 years in the making, but I was sort of living living through just these really dramatic shifts in, you know, consumer behavior and values. And then, you know, expectations just really rising mm-hmm. and, you know, um, the companies, you know, trying to, trying to meet these expectations, which was just really tough structurally. So I think, you know, all of them were, were, were more challenging in 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 their own in their own right.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so Stanley Black and Decker, they are Fortune 500, I think they're like number 250, 252, something around there. So big company, um, a lot of employees and they of course make industrial tools. You joined during the pandemic, right? Like in 2020 you joined. I want to hear a bit about what convinced you to join a company that also is to me when I hear about them, like mostly maybe male dominated coming from, you know, apparel and you know, a different kind of background, what was that driving force to join Stanley Black and Decker? Yeah. So, I mean,
0: what drew me to the company was, was really, you know, just these incredible brands. So, you know, for those who don't know, like DeWalt, Craftsman, you know, Black and Decker, Stanley, Lennox, I'm sure I'm missing, missing some, um, but, you know, just this company that's just this powerhouse, number one in the industry has been around for almost 200 years, you know, which means you, you know, have to innovate to be around that long, yep. um, you know. Global, sixty countries, you know. So all of the sort of the benefits of a very well-run, profitable, performance-driven organization, but also, you know, at the same time, and I didn't appreciate it as much, you know, outside in, you know, at, at the beginning, but really looking to transform, and you know, at, at this scale, and a lot of the skills that I that I picked up, you know, through through retail, you know, the. Hitting consumers from every angle, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of managing again the the technology and the data, the marketing, and um, you know, sort of the consumerization um, that that took place, you know, in, in retailers. You know, being able to apply that skill set to you know manufacturers who are who are now at the tip of the spear, you know, starting starting that that customer journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just just really you know exciting for me, and and you know, one other thing that. I think is we are very proud of is you know that just the the company's um focus on 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 purpose and um you know just you know diversity and sustainability and all the things that you know you you can put a list on the wall but that are that are um really embedded in the in the DNA and the culture of the company made it just really attractive and you mentioned the the male dominated and and you're right manufacturing and you know tools specifically like being in you know being a pilot or being in you know technology they're just not um Typical, the female representation isn't, isn't as high as, mm-hmm. you know, as, as other industries, but, you know, coming as a woman in a senior level from a different industry, you know, I have really not had any, any challenges. The tone is really set at the top and, you know, the, the company's consistently ranked as one of the best employers um, for women.
1: Wow. That's awesome. So did you, did you kind of have like a handy background before you entered there? Cause I heard all, you know, the names that you were saying, and I'm like, Hmm, I feel like I might know what that tool is, but I'm just imagining my dad right now with this tool belt. I'm like, I can't really, you know, figure out which one that is. Like, did you have a background in that or was it completely new coming from like the apparel scene before this?
0: No, it was actually completely new. And to, and to add to that, I, I live in the, in the middle of Manhattan, so I, I don't really have a yard. Yeah um the elves kind of you know uh when something's broken you, you call and and it the elves kind of fix it yep so it was a, it was a steep a steep learning curve for sure in terms of um you know in terms of product but having you know we're, we're one two or three in, in in every uh in every category that we're in so that 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 helps you know mm-hmm. just being number one helps um and so that, but it was a uh, you know from a product perspective you know uh quite a leap from from apparel
1: yep yeah, I think my three year old know, knows more names of tools than I do, and he'll correct me. Same thing with trucks. He's like, that one is not an excavator, mom. I'm like, okay. Um. <laughs> or that's like some kind of ratchet. All right. Thanks, Grayson. So when, what did your, what did your first 90 days look like at the company? Like, did you go in with a plan where you're like, I've done this before and then it went as planned? Or how did you think about, you know, when you first joined?
0: No, I mean, you know, the skill sets, as I mentioned, are highly, highly transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, but my role was new to the organization, you know, and I, I definitely took the time my first few months to to really define my scope and really understand our, our operations, dive into our business. You know, our goal, which we've stated publicly, is to, is to more than double our online sales in just a couple of years. Yeah. So it took a lot of, you know, sort of, it diving deep into our commercial accounts, marketplaces, you know, just looking at our social and customer touch points, mm-hmm. um, new business models, B2B transactions and such. So it was a little bit, um, you know, of, of uh, you know, sort of listen and, and learn at the beginning. Um, and also, you know, just the way to go to market is very different from, you know, a retailer where you sort of Manage everything. Yeah. Um. You know. So in my prior roles, I had technology, I had marketing, I had um, I, I had almost the, the entire the merchandise, I had the entire piece of the business. Going from that to you know, highly global and matrixed organization, mm-hmm. just a very different way of 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 operating. The same the same sort of end experience, the customer at the core, mm-hmm. and you know the same objectives, but um, a very different way of of sort of um, of execution.
1: Yeah. And I think it's I mean, I was looking through one of your guys investor presentations where I was talking about the model for like we're focusing on B2B, B2C and like D2C. And we're thinking about all of those as being, you know, where we want to head over this next year or so. How do you put on those different hats and how do you, you know, meet all of those customers where they want to buy it?
0: Yeah. You know, prioritization is a, you know, is, is, is a big one, you know, in terms of how do we look at sort of all the different potential value drivers and how do we prioritize, you know, against the, the highest impact ones. Mm-hmm. We are definitely looking at, you know, basically doubling down with our, with our, with our retail partners and then also exploring kind of new business models. But there's a lot of like foundational work, which isn't the most um glamorous or, you know, strategic, but we're, you know, we're doing a lot of just capability building to enable the scale that we want to get to, you know, this is like our studio and our content, our Mm -hmm. um, analytics and reporting, demand planning, customer service of like, we just are putting in an entirely new MarTech stack. So there's a lot of, you know um, it's, it's beyond just a stated intention. Like we're actively um, investing against that foundation that will then enable all of those different business models that that you rattled off B2B, B2C, over the, over the course of the, of the next few years.
1: Yeah. So around all the new things that you're implementing, it seems like all of that would be new. If kind of like your role was new in this company, they didn't really have a big focus on this beforehand. So which parts do you think are going to be, I mean, I'm sure they're all very important, but which ones are you most excited about? And you're like betting big on right now. You're like, this is going to change the way the whole company operates, or this is going to see the biggest ROI when it comes to, you know, online sales and whatever it may be.
0: Well, you know, we, we, we have, again, as I mentioned, a a very broad scope that ranges from, you know, looking at things like content and and, and dropship to, you know, social selling and, and distribution and, you know, and again, doubling down with, with our key, um, Partnerships in, in in North America, which are ex- exceptionally strong. Mm-hmm. But one that yeah. I'm very passionate about is is content. Yeah. And yeah. I know that you know it, again, it's sort of like just to play, mm-hmm. but for yeah. us, it's it's very um, you know important in that um, you know customers and you know the end consumer are now looking to to, to manufacturers for. You know, just to really understand um, you know the product so much of of the role of of you know sort of digital influence with now post covid. it's it's you know estimated to be even higher the number of transactions that begin you know on digital channels, regardless of where the you know the actual transaction makes mm-hmm. is made. so we're we're we have a very big investment in content. This includes you know sort of the what samples we shoot off in in the milestone process to how we you know deliver. That content to you know all of our different distribution channels to more enhance and experiential content. Um, so it's it's a very big undertaking um, for the last I would say five months, and we're expecting to um, to start to see results in in Q three of this year.
1: Oh, cool! So we've had a lot of brands on here talk about content. We've got you know brands who are making their own branded content, like working on Netflix series. We've got brands that are building their entire um, content platforms, like kind of like a Netflix that they're you know, using AI and ML and it's being trained and all that, it feels like it's just kind of like Netflix, other people just focusing on TikTok or Instagram. What do you think is going to be most impactful? You said you're going to start seeing results. Like what kind of content are you guys really leaning into? And who is it going after? Who's it targeting right now?
0: So, you know, our customer base spans, you know, professionals, the pros to tradespeople to, you know, DIY makers. So we have, you know, a diversity in, ter- in terms of who that end user is. Mm-hmm you know, as I mentioned, they're all looking for, you know, inspiration, education, product information, pre and post customer care. So we are, you know, starting with, with the basics So sort of, um, you know, what our, you know, sort of e-commerce core e-commerce content is. Um, we have a lot of, you know, AV testing happening right now to really understand the true return
1: mm-hmm.
0: with our scale. It, it's, um, it's, it, it's less intuitive than you're, you know, being at a, at a more early stage company where you kind of have line of sight to the full to the full business you know we really have to look across all of our different distribution channels you know globally to really understand what the right investment is mm-hmm. from a sort of a, a sales you know lift perspective but we we are looking at you know enhanced content which is more along the lines of of what you were saying um you know sort of borrowing from some of the learnings we have um you know in global markets which are more advanced than 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 we are you know progressive in terms of 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 mobile and social and such you know we're we're really Looking to kind of disrupt ourselves and to, you know, take a a fresh look at how we um, represent our our brands online and how we go to market.
1: Yeah. It seems like there could be such a big area for impact around partnering with, you know, all the DIY type of people, the Chip and Joanna Gaines, like all the influencers. I mean, there's this one woman on TikTok that I watch where she'll redo someone's entire bedroom. And I watch her and I'm like, what exactly were you using at that? Because just tell me exactly what it is and I'll just get that and I'll know it'll work. But it seems like there's, a lot of opportunities popping up now that are outside just the traditional like TV ads. And I mean, which still apparently work, at least, you know, from what I've heard on here, but there's a lot of little micro opportunities that could probably have a lot of lift and reach people that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Absolutely. Are you open to channels like TikTok and things like that? Or are you still kind of staying more traditional like Facebook or even like Super Bowl commercials, which apparently have also a big lift? The status quo. Every everything
0: is is you know is up for for debate. Mm-hmm. I think being in a large, global, as you said, Fortune two hundred and fifty company, you know the the stakes are, are are high. There's a lot there's a lot to lose with with you know sort of a you know our, our appetite for risk. So it's it's a constant conversation that we are that we're having. I'm sure other um, CPGs um, have the same. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, manufacturing is you know I have a hundred percent of the information. And I have kind of longer lead times and I, you know, am very efficient. That's mm-hmm. like the opposite of, of what you're suggesting, which is, you know, let's let's test something out. Let's see if it works. And, you know, if it doesn't, then we move to something else. Let's work in, you know, the return isn't necessarily there from an ROI perspective up front mm-hmm. because we're basically understanding that maybe it's a data play, maybe it's um, you know, it's okay if it fails. Like all of these things are very, very intuitive. For companies that are, you know, early stage, or um, that you know, sort of are um, have a different sort of origin
1: mm-hmm. and
0: history, or are new. So I think when when you're asking like, are we open to to TikTok? Are we open to these um, channels? We're open to definitely to the conversation, and we are speaking internally and really getting a, a sense of of you know what our appetite is for risk and how we, how we mitigate against risk and how we think about investments and how we think about um, speed as our business model shifts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different model when you've got so many eyes kind of watching of like how that pay off, how to pay off? Let me t- hear the ROI versus this marketing campaign. Very different than like a new D2C company that can just move quick and break things and say, sorry later. <laughs> and no one will probably even exactly. notice. So the one thing that seems really tricky too, at the company of, black and decker size is attribution around these campaigns. What are some good best practices when trying to measure, you know, the ROI of marketing efforts or e-commerce efforts or any of that?
0: Yeah. So, you know, attribution is a very, um, you know, is very, is very top of mind. You know, we um, have a a big effort around data and insights, which then, you know, goes into, you know, AI and predictive analytics. So a very robust effort around, around data. Mm -hmm. Um, We've recently, as I, as I mentioned, invested around our MarTech backbone, you know, this is a CDP, a Pim and a Dam, like looking at our ESP and our chat and social listening and, you know, all of sort of that, those marketing automation that will help us, you know, get smarter about you know what the impact of our different efforts is. So I think we're early in our journey, um, you know, and it it, it is tricky. Unlike um, our retailers, that you sort of have a lot of the data, you know, firsthand. A lot of our of our sales come through our retail partners. Mm-hmm. Building those relationships with the end user and really leveraging the POS data that we do get. Um, it's just a little bit of a different you know uh, exercise mm-hmm. than it is you know in 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 kind of more direct businesses. but attribution is is something that we're that we're very keen on on understanding. and you know the the goal is to be extremely um, you know data driven and really again, understand the the value um, you know even if it's not a pure uh, revenue, so we can prioritize our efforts.
1: Hey there. Are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. So with everything around the pandemic, so COVID obviously made a lot of people want to come home and work on things. Home improvement was spiking, anything um, DIY was spiking. What kind of quick changes did you have to make? Because I'm assuming maybe you came in and you're like, all right, here's kind of, I'm going to observe, I'm going to see the org, I'm going to talk to the people, and then we're going to do this. To then maybe have to be like, and pivot again, like things are, you know, everything's up and to the right. Everyone wants to be home right now and fixing their house. What kind of quick changes were you able to possibly make around um, increased demand.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, you've seen the the charts of like the biggest winners and losers in COVID. I think apparel was at the bottom and I think DIY was at the top. So, (laughs) um, you know, so definitely a huge boom and, you know, one that, that I don't think anyone could have really anticipated. Mm -hmm. We've disclosed publicly, like e-com represented 18% of our business last year and went up five points just, just in that year.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I saw 8% back in 2019 was like the share. So that's that's awesome. Good growth.
0: <laughs> yes. And, you know, so to your point, you know, it's, it's about meeting that demand. So there's a lot of creative things, you know, when you have with performance market, there's a lot of things you have to do to pivot to, mm-hmm. you know, to adjust to, um, you know, to the commercial realities, but I think like more important than just meeting the demand. I think what COVID did for us was just like handed us permission to to double down. So yes. on this incredibly big base, we now have set out to, you know, to, to double our business um, mm-hmm. over the next few years. And, um, you know, we don't want to just take share. We want to grow the category. And because we are number one globally by, you know, a three times factor, you know, in terms of in tools and storage, like we're, we're in this phenomenal position to really um, seize the opportunity. Mm-hmm. We're well positioned. I think it's been shown like companies that act swiftly after a crisis, like end up reaping the rewards. So we're, yep. we're not retrenching. Um, we are we are definitely um, you know doubling down. It's one of the biggest commitments and, and priorities at the company.
1: Yeah, and what about forecasting? Because I can imagine you know a lot of people get really excited about DIY. I even think about some of the things that I got, and then I kind of was like, okay, it seems a little hard. Pinterest fails, just running through my mind. I'm like, I probably shouldn't try and do this myself. But how how do you think about forecasting in a time when you have seen all this you know really crazy increased demand? Everyone wants to do it now are you kind of like going to keep that trend, you know, going, or do you have a point where you're kind of pulling back a bit of like, okay, things might normalize a bit, or, you know, we need to think of other ways to increase the lifetime value, re-engage these people, bring them, you know, in, in a different way. How are you thinking about the next year or two?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I get asked that a lot, you know, what is, what is the future? Like how how much of this is, is you know, sort of permanent and what's going to stick and what's going to not? Mm-hmm. And when do you kind of shift strategies yeah. Um. to exactly along the lines that you're saying to more of, you know, retention and engagement, you know, loyalty and such. Mm-hmm. I wish, I always say, I wish I had a crystal ball because, you know, I, I do think like, I, I'm personally not going to be lining up for Black Friday deals ever again. No. And I'll probably stay in, in yoga pants, but, yep. you know, but I do, I personally believe that, some of the changes that have been like an e not just our category, but more broadly are really signaling like an entirely new phase of growth. And mm-hmm. I, I really don't think things will ever be the same, um, you know, even after mass vaccination. Uh, we're very bullish internally, you know, while there, you know, maybe some some shifts like the, the you know, in, in, in terms of what we call e-commerce, you know, this kind of hybrid selling, we've seen the, you know, the curbside pickup mm-hmm. and the focus and all of the, the payments such as all of the Innovation that's happened, you know, at the home centers, we've seen what it's prompted. I think we're going to see some permanent shifts in terms of um, digital being that 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 new front door for our, for our category. So, so we 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 continue to you know remain very bullish.
1: Yep. Yeah, I can see the retailers having to also think about, especially around home improvement, shifting their mindset. I mean, the other day I was talking with someone who said that essentially contractors were um, doing buy online, pick up like on the curb or something similar to that. And that I think it was like a Home Depot or something. All their employees were trying to get stuff for these contractors where they were, you know, on the floor for two hours trying to gather this pretty large contractor's order. And it's like, well, why would I ever go in or even send one of my, you know, employees in there to do that when I can just have the retailers working for me? And we've had some, you know, strong opinions both ways around like, you know, that's still going to stay versus we had on... Wolseley, which is like a big HVAC, B2B type company, she was essentially saying that she didn't see big home improvement stores needing to have as much inventory and warehouse anymore and kind of being more like a guide shop, placing orders online. Like, why do you need to go in there and find the exact, you know, screws or plumbing pieces that you need? It should all just be ready when you get there. How do you view the world of retail when it comes to to that?
0: So, you know, when it comes to like, B 2 B, which is that's what that is, like the pro um, and contractors and such. You know, it's like seventy percent of the workforce is going to be like millennial and Gen Z, and mm-hmm. like these people that are making the purchasing decisions, they're not going to do it like in old ways. They they want the the experiences that they have in their personal life mm-hmm. uh, when when they get things quick and and you know convenient and um, have price transparency and can do it twenty four all the things that that sort of we we B 2 C has sort of led the way. I think the next frontier is is b2b in that way and so i i think that maybe maybe it's not that specifically but i do think that retailers will have to continue to reinvent to meet these like very difficult expectations yeah and i think that what we now like kind of put in a box like curbside versus you know that 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 is kind of going to get very 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 blurry yeah. um and even the attribution of what we call e-commerce is getting very blurry um which yeah. makes um, determining investment return, very, very difficult. Like when you think about things like content, you know, like it's not really the return on the, on the e transaction. So I actually think, you know, that there, there will be continued, you know, kind of shifts in um, expectations and that a lot of this behavior will take on a form that we, we can't even in, envision now. And I think the next five years are going to bring unprecedented change.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always continue to think about the role of curation with these especially huge stores, like the Lowe's is the Home Depot's of I want to go in there and have an experience and I want to get something there that I can't get online. Like I can get online and order whatever tools, you know, my TikTok video told me to get. But what I can't get is if I go in there and there's like certain reviews or little maybe like, you know, scan this code and you can see a certain video that you wouldn't have seen otherwise, or just thinking of ways to keep me engaged and walk away with some kind of experience or having some kind of curation in retail that I couldn't get online. I mean, I think about why do I even go to the, you know, Pottery Barns, the West Elms, even sometimes TJ Maxx's like because certain ones have certain kinds of curation. And I think that could be a big thing going for, but it feels really hard to crack that. I even think about the Amazon bookstores when they, you know, they had the little reviews from the individual employees or they picked a review off of Amazon's website. That to me was very engaging, you know, seeing which ones they picked. But then thinking about how to scale that and, you know, stay on top of it feels hard. Yeah, I mean you need
0: something different, which is why I think, you know, there's going to be a lot more innovation, like are there's going to be services, like what what is the the new mall, you yeah. know? Like is it is it a place you go with your family to, to like have fun from the day. You see like precedents, you know, in China and other other areas that are sort of, you know, of, of what what shopping like really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what makes it hard back to your your comment about attribution is now the consideration and the purchase are like not linked. So it makes it even harder because like you got all of your, you know, um, inspiration and everything online. And then you're going in, in store, not to sort of consider and browse and be cross sold. Mm -hmm. You're going in with more intentionality potentially or not. So it's just, it's created these like very strange journeys Mm -hmm. that are just, again, really hard to, um, to organize around structurally.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it that, Yeah. Your inspiration of when you find something is not maybe linked to when you're in the store. I think about that all the time, even with recipes and things. It's like, I go in there and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to make this one Thai thing. And I get in there. I'm like, what am I here for again? Like, where do I find my tab where my recipe was? And it's, yeah. How do you keep that person engaged all the way through to really push them past the finish line and not be like me where I'm like, oh, tomatoes, I need tomatoes. Like that's not part of my (laughs) recipe, but I just am all the way over in a different aisle. And I didn't come here for that. And I, yesterday I walked out and I didn't have any of the stuff I needed. I'm like, this needs to be better, but I don't know how to improve on this. (laughs) Absolutely. So the one thing I want to kind of circle back to too, that I didn't touch on enough, but I was just thinking about the female engagement of the workforce, which I think is so important, especially around, you know, certain fields that maybe are male dominated. How do you think about bringing in great talent? How do you recruit great people? And how do you encourage people to step up? Oftentimes females. I think I've read a stat when I was back at Google, where they said that females won't apply to a job unless they're like 90% qualified yeah. where men will apply when they're like 60% qualified or something. So how do you like, I, I've
0: driven past a, a retailer. I know
1: retail. Yeah. Uh, is, yeah. The different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I think I've heard of that store before apply. But yeah, how, yeah. How do you think about encouraging, you know, badass females to apply and work for you all and, um, be the, you know, top place to work. Uh, I think you said that you guys were one of the top places to work for women. Like, how do you even go about creating that culture?
0: Yeah. You know, this is one that's like really hits me hard just on a personal level, just because, you know, I I think everyone knows at this point that the impact of the pandemic on women, like, and, you know, that it could take a long time to to get out of this and Mm -hmm. over like 2 million women just have left their jobs. Yeah, Um, And so I think that, you know, it's very important half of the of the talent pool or women. We need those, those voices in that seat at the table. And I, I really do think women like change the dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, corporate America It was essentially designed like pre-technology, pre, like, if you think about like when, when like corporate even offices and, and sort of structures, patterns of interaction were designed, it was just a completely different point in time. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, kind of blowing that up and kind of thinking with the fresh sheet of paper is, is one thing, you know, we're, we're taking a lot, a hard look at sort of, um, you know, that the future of work in the office and that helps with attracting like uh, women who sometimes can't like reload their family, you yeah. know, to take a GM role of a, of a country or, or such for attracting, you know, incredible talent. You know, we have had a, a big effort and I think that, you know, the the remote work has helped. We've now had um, access to just incredible talent. I think my team is in uh, 15 States and one Canadian province, so we, you know, time zones is a little difficult, and you know, there are some challenges, you know, with building culture and bringing in more junior people and getting them acclimated. So there, there are some some challenges, but I think that's that's a big piece of it. But I think that really the tone just has to be set at the top. I don't know that you can like dictate a culture, Mm -hmm. and you kind of have to live it. You know, the fact that our um, leadership team, you know, has made it very, very clear, unapologetically, that we stand for nothing other than, you know, than gender parity, than social justice. That, you know, we we had empathy principles. I, I told my husband, I thought it was the most, I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is, this is incredible. Work-life principles that the most senior leaders have made like very public pledges, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to really respect, um, you know, the, 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 the folks who are, bearing the the brunt of the pandemic in in many, in many senses. And so we don't lose that, that talent. So I think there are, there are a lot of, you know, different, um, you know, sort of angles that that we're pursuing as a company from flexibility to, you know, return to work after two years off to like a lot of more formal programs, but I'm not sure that you can, um, you know, I think a lot of it is just sort of cultural Mm -hmm. and the tone, the tone being set, you know, the, the over-communication about how, you know, the, the values that I guess that we espouse as a company.
1: Yeah. I love that. I think also, like you said earlier, empathy is such a big thing because you can have, you know, messages from the top about what's okay and flexibility and all that. But at a lot of times it actually depends on your coworkers. I mean, if I were to say, Hey, just like right now, all three kids in my are sick right now, all three of my kids are sick. Like I can't come in. What do you feel from them? Like, how do you encourage empathy among all of your you know, employees who want to lift you up and support you instead of being like, ah, Steph's kids are sick again. Like, this is like the third time in a month, which it may be, like, you never know. And I think figuring out how to develop that among the, you know, your entire team seems like a much more grassroots effort.
0: What helps is the male ally. So we we have something that we really want is to leave loudly. Mm -hmm. So I, I, historically, I have no problem balancing my personal life. I just have a commitment. I can't make it. I, you know, have a conflict. But now I don't, I make an effort to say, I I have to take my daughter to the doctor Mm -hmm. and that's okay. And so it's, it's also, you know, also like setting the example that your life is balanced with, you know, with a lot of other commitments and we want you to be a whole person. In that our job as leaders is to is to like and stop asking women to change is yeah. is to, <laughs> is to let, let, let let us change and make, you know, best um, tap into the diversity of, of thought in, in sort of life commitments. And so I think that unless we we figure this out, I fundamentally think you can't legislate um, to get out of the wage gap. Yep. You really need to make, um, you know, real meaningful Changes within within the place that we spend all of our time that gives us meaning Mm -hmm. to our lives. They've shown how important work is to you know to identity and such, and really create the space for for true belonging.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think also the best companies will be the ones who think long term around that. I mean, that's why I always look back at my time at Google and respect the teams that I worked for so much because I remember I was in at the finance group for Maps and I was switching over to like a PM type of role for augmented reality and Street View. And I was eight months pregnant when they were recruiting me. And I was like, do y'all see this? Like, I, I will only have a matter of, I mean, weeks, two weeks, maybe to work with you guys. And, you know, I'm really interested. And I mean, they were trying to pull me over to their team. I'm like, but I'm only going to be here two weeks. And then we have a very good maternity policy. And you get up maybe, you know, a couple weeks off beforehand. Like, is this okay? And they're like, yeah, of course it is. Like, we want you long term. And you being gone, you know, the company will still run. Things will be fine but we're excited when you get back here and we want you to come back when you're ready and your spot will be here. And I just remember being like, whoa, like that's the kind of org this is long-term thinking. It's not around like, oh, it's going to be hard for a couple months. Like it was none of that. It's like, of course, everything will be fine, but we'll be here when you're ready to come back, which yeah, I respected.
0: I do think those are the companies that will win. Yeah. Um, Employees will feel like they're part of something. They'll be more engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't, just think like it's fair and it's like the right thing to do. Like it is a hundred percent a business advantage.
1: Yep. Yeah. I agree. Love that. All right. Well, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce commerce cloud our amazing sponsors. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Catherine? Oh, the pressure. Yes. All right. What's one thing you don't understand today that you wish you did? Blockchain. It's a good one. Yeah. So many opportunities there, I think anyways, but yeah. And again, get like, I understand it and like at a high level, but like, what are the practical
0: applications in the short term? Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with 5G. I'll throw that in there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) If you had a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be?
0: My goodness. It would be about um, just the, the, the topics of, of the day. And um, I think my first guest would be Dolly Parton. And the reason is is that you know she here she was, she had like nothing. Mm-hmm. And then she became an icon. And like what what propels someone to um what 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 kind of drive does it take to really leave her, her very, very humble um origins and then you know sort of build an empire and 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 really have this worldview that that she has. So I think, you know, just really picking the brains of, of people who have who have done incredible things.
1: That sounds amazing. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? It can be life or work. I would say
0: my, my daughters. So I have two daughters mm-hmm. and I would say, you know, for, I think it was my birthday or mother's day, they made uh, mom appreciation day. So the whole day was devoted to me. And I got my, my favorite breakfast. I um, got to do things that were really what, what, what she wanted to do, but that were um, <laughs> under the guise of, 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 of you know, what I wanted to do. She's only four. Um, but it was just very special that she kind of thought of, of this holiday that would be kind of in, in, in my honor.
1: Oh, that's cute. She's like, we're getting ice cream, then we're going to have candy, and then we're going to get pancakes <laughs> exactly. with lots of syrup. Exactly. This, this what is whatever. your day, mom. <laughs> oh, that's so cute what resources do you check in with each day or week to kind of stay on top of all the e-commerce trends and what brands do you maybe watch to also kind of stay on top of it?
0: Yeah. So I, it's funny. I always ask people that because, you know, there's just so much content out there and Mm -hmm. I think that the curation is, is the most difficult. Um, So, you know, I, I I read, I read the New York times. I, I listen to to podcasts. I like, um, you know, pivot with Galloway and Paris Wisher and like, um, you know, the Jason Scott show, yeah. I mostly look to earlier stage brands and companies for sort of for inspiration and innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure what I think about the, you know, the the era of of big retail and such, but I think that a lot of what kind of the more progressive pure plays are doing, you know, can, can lend itself to the companies that are, you know, at, at a bigger scale. And, uh, that, that's who, you know, I, I look to for, for more inspiration.
1: Yep. Love that. All right. And then the last one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
0: What I think will have the, you know, the biggest impact in the next year or so is, um, on e-commerce just the continued, you know, blurring of the lines with store and web, you know, we've seen all these, the proliferation of all these delivery models, You know, we've seen the impact of of like social commerce. I just think there's just going to be a lot more, you know, I think in the far future, there'll be, you know, more off the screen, you know, IoT, voice will become more prevalent, all of those kind of AI, you know, AR, VR, all of that. But I think in the immediate term, we're just going to continue to see these models blurring Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. distinction between, you know, what is e-commerce and what is, you know, sort of brick and mortar continue to become more or less relevant. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So basically things start to kind of get bundled together a bit more right now. It feels like there's a bunch of like tentacles everywhere and you have to keep track of everything, which is why we name the show commerce and not up next in e-commerce. And that's why my excited. title
0: is commerce. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. yeah that's, very
0: progressive, but we're very thinking forward that thinking. Too.
1: Yeah, we have, we had our crystal ball. We're ahead of the game. <laughs> well, Catherine, this interview has been so fun. It's been great hearing about what you guys are up to at Stanley Black and Decker and all the cool work that you're doing. Where can people find out more about you and Stanley Black and Decker and maybe even apply for your team, which if I wasn't here, I would. It sounds epic.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You want everyone should want to be a part of it. We're doing some some amazing things together um, so you can reach me on, on on LinkedIn and you can learn more about the company, um, you know, Stanley
1: But thank you again for for the opportunity. And this is a really fun conversation. Yeah, thanks. It definitely was. We'll have to have you back for round two in the future. It'd be fun. Absolutely. Will do. Thanks, Catherine. listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts
0: or wherever you listen to podcasts.